0: You take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 20, and we'll be looking this morning at verses 17 to 38. It's a very important passage when it comes to how Acts is laid out and what God has for us in regards to what He wants us to do in looking to the future, making sure we're taking care of the present making sure that we are also being aware of the past because the past can be a great teacher. The past can be a way for us to not only uh, learn what to do and you know, pull from that, but also we have the vantage point of being able to see what we shouldn't be doing. And so we're going to be, again, in Acts chapter 20, uh, looking at verses 17 to 38, um, again, this is a longer passage, but I want to read it up front, so just, just stay seated for this point, but just make sure that you're paying attention and being upright in heart when you're hearing what God has to say. Beginning verse 17, "...now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia." Constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor of precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I am. I know that none of you among whom I have gone And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's gold, silver or gold. I keep switching those silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and those who are with me. And all these things I have shown that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken and that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. May God add His blessing to the reading of His holy and perfect Word. So, this morning, well, we are still remembering, at least I think uh, a lot of you were able to come on Sunday night, to be able to listen to what the findings were and what we believe as a vision team God was calling the church to be able to do, even to the point of looking at what we would be doing over the next 90 days, over the next year, three years, and then the next five to seven years, we know that all of that is flexible, but we also know that uh, there has to be a piece that is intentional. There have to be some play, th- some things in place as we move forward in the gospel of uh, of our Lord Jesus, where we can 't be just drifting because if we drift and we don 't have an anchor and we don 't have a rock to stand on, then we 're going to be going all sorts of places and so here, what the apostle Paul is doing. And it's reminding the Ephesian elders of of much the same things that uh, we are being reminded of now is that we've got to move forward carefully and with character, but with also some conviction as well. If we don't, then we're just going to be just a bunch of people that are meeting in a place where, yes, we enjoy each other, but nothing of eternal significance will be going on. We have to make sure that we are aware of this. So in in verse 17 where he talks about that they met them in in Miletus, he ended up not going to Ephesus. This is actually the very last stop of Paul's very last missionary journey. And so these are the very last words that we have of the Apostle Paul in Europe. He then is going to be going eventually to Jerusalem, as we read in this passage. He's going to be going to Jerusalem in order to, to observe Pentecost, but he also knows that he's going back into the lion's den. He had um, those who were of the Jewish leaders that were chasing him everywhere that he was going, trying to disrupt everything that he was doing. He was trying to get to them about the gospel of grace, but they were still fixated upon a salvation by works. It's about what you do, not by what um, Christ has done on your behalf. That did not mean that the Apostle Paul drifted himself. Well, I'm saved and the Spirit's going to do what the Spirit's going to do. I'm just going to cruise. No, no. Because we have been saved, that means that we have been called to a purpose. All of us. All of us have a role. God has given all of us a gift to be able to use and to exercise for the glory of God. When we realize all of us have a particular part to play as ministers of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, it then prevents us from drifting. We begin to think of ourselves now as having a mission, a meaning, a value, a purpose. And when we consider how we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and the fact that God made us alive to him by grace we have been saved, Ephesians 2 tells us, we move forward recognizing, yes, we've been saved by grace, but we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, that he has prepared for us beforehand, that we should absolutely walk in them. This passage of Scripture, there's a lot of biography of the Apostle Paul, and I love this. So we're going to start there, is that the first thing that I want you to really notice about this is that um, the character of your ministry matters, not just the content. Okay, so there's some of you who, we've all come from a Sunday school class. Um we, we have, in case you're kind of new to our church, we have Sunday morning Bible studies that we have from about 9 to ten fifteen. The The uh, intention is to start at 9, you know, some of us do better than others. But we, we, we have it on the, on the thing. We're starting at 9 o'clock. And what we do is we get a, around the Word. But it's also a way for us to be able to get into each other's lives. We don't do church just about what we can get out of it. We do church because of what we, God's called us to put into it. We are to invest, not simply to be invested in, but to invest in others. It's not a spectator sport. We are actually called to be on the field and run the play. And so when, when you, you have that, you have Sunday school teachers. You have small group teachers. And it matters in that class, not just about the content that they're talking about, but the character that they have in talking. Because if they're saying something, and it, it counts in this forum as well, if I'm saying something and my character is the pits, then you're not going to believe what I'm saying. What's going to happen is, is that you're going to look more at my character than the content of what I'm saying. doesn't mean the content doesn't matter. No, the content does matter because God's revealed his word. And so when Paul is coming here, he's saying here in in this first part, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I sat in Asia serving the Lord with three things, humility, with tears, and trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. The humility, I mean, Paul had a reason for pride before he came to Christ. In fact, if you read Philippians 3, it talks about his, his wealth and his intellect and his status and the heritage that he had. And people were lifting him up. But he said in verse 7, whatever was gained to me now, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. And he even calls it, it says it in the original, he's saying that I count all that other stuff as dung, feces. For the cause of Christ. How dare you talk like that, Pastor Matt? Well, Paul started it. He's the one that started it. You know, and I'm just passing along and delivering the mail. But that is a picture, isn't it? Of what all the things that the world tries to give to you to lift you up and build you up. If, if it doesn't have anything about Christ, it's ultimately nothing. But you can have nothing else and have Christ and have everything. And so what Paul is saying here is, with all humility, Christ literally in Acts 9 on the road to Damascus knocked him off his high horse, and suddenly now he was one who was following Christ in his word no matter what, even if it was to his own peril, even if it was to his own danger. He also did it with tears. He loved those people. And whenever they grieved and, and struggled and disobeyed, he grieved and wept with them. He wept for them. Charles Spurgeon one time, a long time ago, says, winners of souls must be first weepers of souls. And I'm wondering, when was the last time that we wept for the lost, when we wept for someone that does not know Christ? We pray for them, yes, but we also must weep for them as we engage them and talk to them, begging them not to make this choice of turning away from their life, from a life in Christ. Trials. Boy, there were many trials In fact, later on, the Holy Spirit would remind him, it says in verse 23, the Holy Spirit testifies to him that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await him. I don't know how many people get up in the morning and say, I can't wait for afflictions and imprisonments. Boy, that's going to be a good day. No, in fact, what we try to do is we avoid it. And that's a lot of times why we compromise on the gospel is because we don't want to get rejected. We don't want to be offended or offend anybody. And we certainly don't want any kind of harm to come to us. But that's part of what it was talking about when, we're ta- when, when it's talking about the trials. And if you read the last part of 2 Corinthians 11, and all the places and all the ways that the Apostle Paul was, had these trials, and he said even on top of that was the daily anxiety he had for all of the churches. So all of the physical trials that he was going through, on top of that was seeing the churches and making sure that the churches were staying faithful. This was a big burden on him, but a blessed burden that he had. So when And when he begins to talk about his ministry, he's saying, look, I didn't shrink away. And that's where we get the title of this message, No Hesitation. That's what it's talking about. I didn't shrink away. And there's three different times that he says that in this passage. I did not shrink away from declaring to you and in this part he was talking about that which was profitable later on he's talking about how he did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of god in verse 27 so in other words he did not shrink from giving people the scriptures when we look at our mission statement now connecting all people to the truth and hope in jesus that was paul as well he said he 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 was he went and he taught in public which is kind of what I'm doing right now. We advertise this. I'm in public. We got it going out on the live stream. Public. But it says he also went from house to house, declaring and teaching and testifying both to Jews and Greek. You can't get more all people than that. Jews are Jews. Greeks, Gentiles, are non-Jews. You can't get more all people than that, right? And so that's what the word Gentiles means as it comes from that word ethne, which means nation. So Paul aimed to go in public, house to house, Jews who had all the promises and covenants of God, as we see in the Old Testament, Gentiles who still needed to learn. But here God, God is moving in his character. He's saying, I am going to tell you about what needs to happen when it comes to following the things of Christ. But secondly, we also see not only about the character, but also the constraint. Paul was constrained by the Holy Spirit. We're not our own. We were bought with a price as Christians. And so the moment we start thinking, well, this is my life, that Billy Joel song, that tends to be going around in my mind, um, you know, I don't care what you say anymore. This is my life. Go ahead with your own life. Leave me alone. You know, you know, we may not know that song. We may not know Billy Joel from anybody else, but we know that philosophy, don't we? We don't like people telling us what to do. Even if it's good for us, we don't want anybody telling us what to do. In fact, sometimes we read the Bible and we're like, I don't like that. So sometimes we don't even want God telling us what to do. That wasn't Paul. And it must not be us. Paul was constrained, um, some of your notes may say, bound by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity who comforts, who comes alongside, who counsels us, who convicts us of sin. God, when, when Christ went back to the Father, when we were doing uh, uh, Malcolm Park's funeral or uh, uh, Malcolm Park's wife's funeral, and that was the passage that we were talking about, and that was the thing is that Jesus was going to leave them. The disciples were super sad, but then he said, I will be sending the Holy Spirit to you. So when you are a Christian, you get the Holy Spirit. You don't get just the Holy Spirit in part and then have another thing happen to you, a second work of grace, and then you really get the Holy Spirit. You get All of the Holy Spirit that you are going to get the moment you are saved. But you say, but there sure seems like a time in my life later on when the Holy Spirit really begins to kick in. You know what? You know why? Because you had a lot of flesh that was being worked on. And now all of a sudden the Spirit is there. And there's this battle. And there's this contention. And there's this tension. And here we got going on. And one day it tips where the Spirit now is reigning full and free. But the Spirit was always there. But over t- what happens is over time, we begin to be more aware of his presence. Doesn't mean his presence wasn't there. And he promised to never leave us or forsake us because there are some who say, well, I became a Christian, and then a few months later, a few weeks later, a few years later, I got the Holy Spirit. Then God's a liar because God has always promised that he would never leave us or forsake us. And so that's why he sends us the Holy Spirit the moment we become a Christian. For the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul had gotten to a point where self was virtually gone, but the Spirit was constraining him to do something that self wasn't going to like. Constrained him, it says, to go back, he was going to go back to Jerusalem. And he says, he, he says, not knowing what will happen to me there in verse 22, except that the Holy Spirit, which we said before, testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But what does he say? Does he say, well, the afflictions and imprisonment await me, so I'm gonna go to Hawaii for a week and I'm just gonna chill out for a bit so I don't have to deal with this. That wasn't him. Now, Paul would have these rests every so often, but he knew at this time there was not time for that. What he was saying is this. I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only that I may finish the course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He didn't care what happened to him, as long as he was faithful in getting the gospel out. You have to realize, too, going back to verse 21, that the gospel consists of some non-negotiable components. One is this, repentance toward God. If you're talking about all repentance and no faith, you're going to have a dour life because all you're going to be doing is thinking about and and, and fixating on your sin, but not turning and always turning, always turning, always turning, which you need to be doing. But repentance is a daily thing, not just a one-time thing because we sin daily we sin often we sin hourly weekly whenever we're not loving the lord our god with all our heart soul mind and strength that's sin so we're sinning all the time and we could be like oh i'm so oh my goodness and we could be living a life in christ that is so fixated on fear that we miss this part repentance always always is coupled with faith because it is not, the object of your faith is not you fixating so much on your sin, but taking your sin and fixating it on the object of your faith, who is Jesus. Jesus has rescued you. He's taken you. He saved you from your sin, dear Christian. And for those of you who aren't followers of Jesus yet, see what is possible for you. Look at what Jesus did for you. You're not stuck. I can't stand it in, in in our culture when certain people that have certain lifestyles and and they come and they say, "Well, I was born this way." You know what they're saying? There's no other option, and that's wrong, because you might have grown up you might have grown up in all sorts of ways, and you think, "Well, genetics has got me stuck, and this lifestyle's got me stuck, and this upbringing's got me stuck, and this." health issues got me stuck, and this got me stuck, and, this, and we all think, we're, and the world is trying to tell us for whatever reason that we're stuck. And Jesus comes along and says, you must be born again. So when someone says, well, I was born that way, you can come back and say, well, you can be born again. Look at what Jesus has done for you. Repent, you can repent and turn, but you're turning not just from your sin, you're turning To Christ. He is the object of your faith. And when we see this, this is why Paul, when he realizes what he has been rescued from, this is why Paul was like, my life means nothing. Look where my life took me. Ugh. But look where Christ has taken me. Yes. So I'm going to focus on Christ, and I'm going to focus on helping you focus on Christ. And that's what we're all about now. Connecting all people to the truth, but the hope that we can find in Jesus. So the constraining of the Holy Spirit is leading him in everything that he is doing. This testifying, this giving of evidence, that word testify comes from the same word that we get the word martyr. Back in the first century, the word martyr simply meant a witness or a witness for Christ. As the Christian church began to appropriate that word, it meant a witness for Christ. But since so many of those witnesses for Christ were dying and being killed because of their faith in Christ, the word martyr meant be that one who is a witness that was killed for Christ, executed. For Christ, but Paul kept using that word martyr, 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 every time you say the word testify or witness that 's where that word is it 's a martyr. They knew it, it very could very well be that when you testified for christ it 's a death sentence, and are we willing to go to that point because I am no, no, under no illusions fifty right uh, so here I am got more, unless I live to be 102, I got more in the, the wind, in, the, in the mirror than I do in the windshield. And I know that as fast as our culture has been changing, I'm under no illusions that I could very well, because of me preaching Christ, face some consequences by the civil government because of that. Now, when I can't, got into ministry in 1990, I did not think that that was going to be a thing. We were somewhat respected back then. Actually, back in the '90s, we were about we were about neutral. Nobody really thought about us. Yeah, your pastor—that's great. It didn't used to be that way, and now we're down with um, with one of the lower people in society because they feel like that the message now that we are saying to you about you being a sinner and there being a certain design for things that is contrary to what the world is saying now. Now you are being harmful to our society. You're one of those people, you're, you're in a non-profit, you don't pay your taxes, and yet you're saying all this stuff about what's going on, you should just keep your mouth shut, say what you want to say in here, but once you get out there, you know, it doesn't belong in the public sphere. And I would like to quote my uh, my, my grandfather, who would say this, hogwash, because truth is truth, and it can't be confined, and it can't be constrained, Now, in our culture, because of certain people, the the way things used to be, because people used to be kind of going in a Christian realm, I don't think that we felt like we really needed to rely on the Holy Spirit as much, because people kind of already knew it. You just needed to package it just right. And if you could package it just right, put it in a little, cute little track and all of that, well, then heaven's just going to open up. And now it's not that way. Um, even when I was in Kentucky and I would try to hand a track to one of the little bus drivers that was you know busing us around the hospital, he's like, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to read that. And that was the first time somebody had done that to me because mo- most of the time, you yeah, I'll read it. Even if they just put it right in the trash, at least they took it. I don't want to read that. Or when someone's on their deathbed and they're two hours away from dying and they have been adamant about not receiving Christ, and you try to talk to them about that, and they tell you, and I quote, I don't want to hear that garbage. And so you're realizing now it's not just the way I package it, it's not just a winsome personality. There is a rely, has to be a reliance on the Holy Spirit because I know it can be very discouraging for many of you when we're talking about you making a disciple, having a disciple making relationship and praying for them, hoping they come to Christ. You in your mind, and I struggled with this as well, you may look at it and you're like, I don't see how that's going to happen. I don't see how someone who's living that life and, and thinking that way will ever come to Christ. I don't see it. But aren't you glad that it's not just about you and how you package it and how you look and how you sound? Boy, if I had to rely on that, boy, we'd we'd all be in trouble. I have to be relying on the Holy Spirit to break down those barriers and break down those obstacles because we can't do it. I I told you about the preaching vein in my head, all of this stuff, just really leaning in and all that. That can't do it. But I do know what Christ has done for me And I know where he's taken me from. And I know where he's he's put me. And I want that for you. I don't want you to miss out on the freedom that you can have. You may think you're free now outside of Christ. I can do whatever I want. See where it leads you. You may already know where it's leading you. But you have to know the freedom that can be found in Christ. And that's why Paul was willing to go through he was willing to go through all of these imprisonments and all of these afflictions and the, all of these adversities. He had to get the message out. And so do we. Paul, in his getting back to his character, he said, I'm innocent of the blood of all. Now, what made him innocent? That's verse 26. What made him innocent of the blood of all? What made him to where there's nothing toward his account that, that, that somebody could come along and say to him, yeah, you blew it here. You blew it here. He wasn't perfect, but he fulfilled his calling in this way. In verse 27, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. That was his job. And it's said in, in, in various ways, where it's talking about the word, and it's talking about that which was profitable. It's talking about teaching. In fact, you can go on down to verse thirty-two, where it talks about the word of His grace, and and and, and finish out verse thirty-two, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. This is the message. The message that was about what God was doing for you now, but what God was going to be doing for you, not just in the here, but in the hereafter. You're not who you were anymore. You are not your own, dear Christian, anymore. And those of you who aren't Christians, yeah, that's what's coming. You are not going to be your own anymore once you come to Christ. But it's better. Jesus is always better. Well, how do I know that? Hear what we're telling you, you can't know it until you know Him. And your life is not going to be setting the trajectory that you think it is. There's going to be one day you're going to hit that wall and you're going to wonder what's next. And I'm telling you that if you hit that, even Christians sometimes have that, but isn't it wonderful to know that even when that wall comes, you're not alone in that issue? he is always with you. The Holy Spirit is there with you. And so if, as we get to this last part, yes, this last part, I want to just remind you to be careful in your walk. Paul reminded them to be careful in the walk. A couple of verses here that's important for us to know, verses 28 to 30. He says, pay careful attention. Now, who's he talking to here? He's talking to the elders. He's talking to the pastors. He's talking to the leaders of the church that, that made a 20-mile trek from Ephesus on the coast in Asia Minor down the coast to Miletus, meeting them there, kind of in a neutral place, because if he had gone to Ephesus, they would have just mobbed him there. They would have just gotten, been all over him. He wouldn't have been able to talk to them. So it was a little retreat that they had. And he's sitting there, he's talking to him, he's saying, pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to do what? An overseer, that's part of being a pastor. Most of it, if not all of it, in in certain ways. To care for the church of God. And what's the church of God? The church of God was purchased by his own blood. Jesus died for his church. Jesus died for his church. Jesus builds his church. The gates of hell will not be able to prevail against his church. It is on that solid rock that we stand. Jesus is the rock on which the church still stands. Even as the, the waves of death and harm and war and poverty and famine and anxiety and and, and all of these things that are coming up against us, we say, how are we going to be able to stand? By Christ, we can stand. He is our rock. He is our fortress. He is that anchor for our souls that keeps us where we need to be, even in the midst of all that is happening around us. There's a reminder, though, that we have to see here. It says that Paul says, I know. Now, this had to be hard for Paul. Because he spent three solid years teaching them, day after day, in public, from house to house, Jew and Gentile. He's spending all of this time, and yet he says in verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves are going to come up against you. And then he says something that's even more heartbreaking. He says, and verse 30, and from among your own selves will arise men and women speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Paul even rolled up his sleeves, verse 33 to 35, to make sure that he was not a financial burden to them. He rolled up his sleeves and, and helped them to because he wanted to help the weak and remember the words of the Lord. It is more blessed to give than to receive. But that's why we as Baptists, we have to be doctrinally sound, not just missionally sound. Not just cooperating, which the cooperative program, now we're supposed to be missionally sound? Yes. Are we supposed to be cooperating with each other for the cause of Christ? Yes. But I fear that we don't feel like we need to be doctrinally sound because I feel like that we think, well, if I hold to one thing, then you're holding to something else. We're going to have this tension. Doesn't sound very missional. Doesn't sound very winsome. Doesn't sound very cooperative. No, 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 no. We cannot look out here to determine what's right. We can't look out here and poll everybody to determine, okay, you know, I'm getting a pulse of the place. Okay, I'll preach that. There has to be, and we all are operating by some authority, but there has to be an authority that transcends our feeble, fickle, filthy hearts. And it's Jesus and his word and the Holy Spirit who is constraining us and keeping us on the right path. Isn't it sad that some will know just enough Bible but then put enough of themselves in there and raise themselves up and get mouthy and get loud and get winsome and influential and lead people even from within somewhere else? We expect it from the outside. I I, I assume, well, yeah, of course on the outside, yeah. But for that to happen on the inside, may it not be among us. That's why there was church discipline. That's why there were identification of false teachers. Because the word that's used is twisted. Twisted. Perverted. Their teachings were off. So we have to make sure that everything that we teach makes a beeline right back to this book. Not just pulling from the culture. Now, sometimes the culture may get it right. Well, the blind squirrel finds a nut every so often. But everything that we teach, everything that we do, everything that's about ARBC can make a beeline somehow, some way, back to what the clear teaching of his word is. And we have a responsibility to know what that is. We can't just be a mile wide. We have to be a mile deep as well with roots that go and go and go to where we are strong in the midst of false teaching and false worldviews that come our way. So as we land this plane, again, the, the next steps process, it, we sense everything that we have shared with you has a, has a beeline back to Scripture. It leans into a bit of who we are as far as the culture is here at ARBC. But the Apostle Paul gives us a template about character that we need to make sure that what we're teaching lines up with who we are and who we are lines up with what we're teaching. Otherwise, there's a word that's there. It's called hypocrite. That's what we are if we don't do that, if there's if, if something's seriously off. We're not going to be perfect, but if something's seriously off, then that then we're going to have an issue and they're going to look more at our character than they are the content of Scripture. 999 times out of 100. We have to be constrained by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will let you know and gift you to where you need to be. So we need to be recognizing what He's calling us to do. But we also have to be careful. And the way we can be careful is to make sure that every single day we are in his word and his word is in us every single day, that we are praying every single day to make sure that we are lined up with what God has for us. And that will help us to have our spiritual antenna up, to be alert to all the stuff that's going on, not just out in the culture, but even in our own hearts. When our own hearts are tempted to run away, that old hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. We don't know how He does it, but we know that He does it. So let us lean in by the power and the reliance on the Holy Spirit to see who God has, what God has for us as far as our character and pursuing that integrity, but also being constrained. I'm going to do, Holy Spirit, what you've called me to do, because I know you're all about Jesus. You're all about pointing to Jesus. That's what I want. So, some of you who are followers of Jesus, you may have you may need a factory reboot. You may you you may have allowed yourself to get into spectator mode, and your your reliance is upon well, I hope the teacher gets it right, and I sure hope Pastor Matt gets it right, and I hope he gets it quick, right? And so you you have those things that are going on there, and when you leave here, that is the extent of it. But exercising just once a week, having a, one meal once a week is not going to be sustainable. Your soul will starve. It will. Every day. How much? Every day. Be in his word. Find a plan to get in his word every day. And then pray that word back to him write down something that God has shown you in his word that, He's, that the spirit is constraining you and write it down in the journal. Get it, get it there. Well, I'll remember it later. No, no, no. Have, I, I have these little field notebooks. You write it down right then. You got to write it down or you will forget it. Life is fast and busy and crazy and we're not that good to remember stuff. We're not that good. But you you do that now. For those of you who are not followers of Jesus, I, I'm, I'm just praying. This is where I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit would do His work. I've delivered the mail, but that the Holy Spirit would do His work, and that somehow, some way, you would see what Jesus has done for you, and the freedom that you thought you have is actually you making your own prison and throwing away the key. But Jesus is the key to get you out of that, and He will be the one to set you free. If the Son sets you free. Scripture says, you are free indeed. It will happen. Come to Christ this morning. Heavenly Father, in our broken world, thank you for your hope and your way. And Father, I know that there's been much to say in your word. But I pray, Father, that all that has been said was what you have ordained to be said. And we know that your word will not return to us void, but will accomplish all that you seek it to accomplish. I thank you, Lord, that you are a gracious and merciful God, that you are one when we come to you, surrendering our lives to you, that you will cast our sins away as far as the east is from the west, and you will remember them no more. Oh, Lord, sometimes I th- Satan brings to mind things from my past, and I just say, Oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. And you remind me, if you confess your sins he's faithful and just to forgive those sins and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness and you remind me i've already taken care of that move forward in peace thank you lord for that peace that you've promised to, to give us help us to see who you are what you've done and what you aim to do through us help us to see the cross where your son died for our sins help us to see the empty tomb where death was defeated and has no more sway over us Help us to see all that you are, all that you've done, and help us to see your church and motivate and move your church for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You have options. You can either use your hymnal or you can look at the screen, but either way, we want you to engage in a hymn for our time of commitment, and it's a hymn that's called Trusting Jesus. It is an absolutely wonderful text with a really good tune to be able to remember it as you go on because you'll need it during this week. Other people are telling you to trust me, trust me, trust me. No, no, I'm going to be trusting Jesus. Mm. Hear these words and respond in whatever way the Holy Spirit is constraining you to respond. Let's stand together as we sing this wonderful hymn. It's 417 in your hymnals, but the words will also be on the screen.